Hey there, Multi-Amory listeners. It's Dedeker, and I just want to announce that I just did a big update to my online course, Building a Solid Foundation for Non-Monogamy. I've added more exercises, more journal prompts, and more discussion questions to tackle with a partner. And I'm also running a summer sale where you can access the course for a discount. So for a little bit of backstory, last year I launched this online course. I created it because over my many, many years of working with clients, I noticed this pattern where Many people would come to me already knowledgeable about non-monogamy. They've listened to countless multi-amory episodes, they've devoured all the books, they follow all the Instagram and TikTok meme accounts, and yet they still hit these snags in their relationships. They still feel misunderstood by their partners. So I thought it was about time to bring some evidence-based and research-backed practices into the mix to help people create a solid starting ground for their relationship as they journey into non-monogamy. So if you head over to dedekerwinston.com slash course, you can preview the intro to the course and you can see if this is a right fit for you. Go to dedekerwinston.com slash course and use promo code MULTI20 at checkout to get a 20% discount. If you are a Multi-Amory Patreon subscriber, you will get a special code for a bigger discount. So go to patreon.com slash multi-amory to get that discount code. And remember, if you are in financial need, please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and you can literally name your price. I'm serious. You can name your price at a dollar and you don't even have to give me a reason why. In fact, I'd prefer you didn't even give me a reason why because we really believe in how important it is that there's an abundance of relationship resources that are available and accessible. Again, go to dedekerwinston.com slash course, promo code multi20, or reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and name your price. We have a social script for a dinner party or for a birthday party or or I'm going to a work party or things like that. And we don't get this handed down social script for, oh my gosh, two of my partners are going to the same event together where I'm going to be or something like that. And so sometimes we're just like, uh, okay, I guess we'll just see what happens. <laughs> you know, like I'll just show up, I'll put my body in space in this space time and see what happens. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about how to navigate multiple partners in the same space-time, in the same <laughs> area of space-time, yeah. So practicing non-monogamy or having some form of multi-partner relationship means that there are more opportunities for crossing paths with a metamor or having multiple of your partners together at the same event. And for a lot of people, this can be scary. Like what's what's the etiquette? What do I need to watch out for? What should I be doing? How should I be treating them all? So in this episode, we're going to look at some of those, some things to watch out for, as well as some tips about how you could go about planning an event or kind of preparing yourself and your partners for going to an event where multiple partners will be there at the same time. So just so you know, we wrote down this topic 
2018, four years ago was when we wrote this down. Like we've been wanting to make times. Yes. Simpler times. We were so young back then, Mm -hmm. but we've been wanting to make an episode about this for a very long time. And I think we haven't yet because I suppose, I don't know, on this topic, on this show, we try to like research things and see what the science says. And when we get to these very specific topics, nobody's researching having multiple partners in the same space time, at least not yet. Now, Jace, you were the one who initially brought this topic to the table. I could see in our Trello, you were literally the one who wrote it down. Can you talk Uh a little bit about why this topic's been on your heart? Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, I mean, mostly because... I always found that to be a very stressful experience really? being in an event with multiple partners. But then I knew other people who found that to be wonderful and delightful, and they always like wanted to do that. Dedeker, it feel, like feels Dedeker, like. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I felt a fair amount of anxiety around those things, especially in my early days when this was a brand new interaction. But then for me, once you get over that hump, then it's just like, great. Yeah. And so... That's what got me thinking about it in the first place. And then also, you know, hearing from a lot of other people that this is something stressful or they're like, I'm not sure if, like, should I be wanting to do this? Should I try to keep everyone separate? Like, what's the deal? And we've talked about that before when we talk about just sort of different ways non-monogamy can look, you know, like kitchen table polyamory versus parallel polyamory and, you know, that kind of stuff that we've talked about in the past. But anyway, it just came up enough that I was like, you know, this would be cool to do an episode because I'd like to learn about it. And then also because I know a lot of other people have expressed questions about it. Well, here we are four years later, Jace. You can finally learn more about some good practices here. So I do have to give a shout out to Nick specifically. Nick is one of our patrons and he participated in one of our monthly discussion groups, video discussion groups, I think last month or so. And he was one who initially brought up this topic, kind of sharing his experience, you know, with, with introducing partners at the same event and things like that. And I started asking other people in the discussion group about what are your experiences with this? What advice would you give? And people just had such wonderful responses that then I was like, you know what, we got to finally make this episode because even though there's not any hard science behind it, there's still a lot of community wisdom here. So for this episode, it's mostly informed by our listeners. You know, I, I made posts in our, private patron Facebook group and our discord server asking people to weigh in on this and just got really, really fantastic responses. So that's going to be the bulk of our episode today. Yeah. So just a quick note about this. We're primarily going to be talking about things from the perspective of the hinge partner, right? So you're the partner who has multiple partners there, but a lot of this can still apply even if you're, you know, out on the ends of that V rather than being the one with multiple partners, maybe it's you and a partner and a metamor who's there. And this could even apply to situations where maybe you have two good friends from different social circles that are at the same event. It's like, how do I navigate that? Some of it can apply to those, but we're going to be talking mostly from the point of view of that hinge because that's kind of the stressful, I want to be sure everyone's happy and getting along kind of role. And one last note is that in putting this together, we did get perspectives, both our own and from our patrons, about different levels of entwinement with these relationships. You know, maybe we're in the same space time and that is our living room, or we're in the same space time of someone's birthday party or a mutual friend's event or something like that, where maybe we normally don't interact with our metamors very much. So kind of everything across that whole spectrum of how much we interact is, is what we talk to people about to try to put this together. So it's not just about one or the other. 
Okay, so when we're talking about space-time, we're talking about multiple <laughs> continuums, kind of go uh-huh, through. The multiverse. Yes, yeah. the multiverse. Go see everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, so, so we're talking about, you know, four-dimensional objects. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. What are some examples of the types of spaces and times that people <laughs> might be together in multi-partner relationships? So we can talk about things like group events, and that can mean birthday parties, garden party you put on here. That's hysterical. Yeah. I'm like, and maybe if we're a very, very highfalutin British person, then yes, <laughs> garden parties, you know, work events, board game nights, munches, mixers, play parties, the list goes on and on. And truly each of these different experiences can feel very separate and different and have, you know, different things that you have to be thinking about when you're in the midst of them. If you're at a play party versus, you know, maybe a cocktail hour, those are probably going to have two multiple things that, you know, you'll have to deal with and think about that are going to be very separate. And some of those events may also be on your list of, I never want to be in the same room with a metamor at this mm. particular type of event. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. so these are not, this is not an all inclusive list. Yes. Also things like official meet and greets, which maybe like introducing two partners to each other or meeting one another for the first time. Also, I mean, that makes me think of, you know, meeting uh, parents for the first time or something along those lines. Yeah, it's the polyamory version of meeting the parents. It's like meeting (laughs) my other partner. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Meeting my other partner and meeting the metamors. And also there are potential times where unofficial or accidental meet and greets might happen, like running into each other at the same event or crossing paths in and out, you know, maybe a parallel polyamory slip up happening. I know, yeah, Dedeker and I both have stories, but yeah, early on, in my polyamorous journey, I kicked Jace out because this dude that I wanted to sleep with, it was like in town for like one night. So I, I was like, Jace, go over to Dedeker's house. But in the, and he was not familiar with polyamory much at all. And he was like, I don't want to see Jace. I don't want to meet him. But then it ended up happening. And you two met and shook well, hands. Well, because I had to come back to the house because yes. I forgot something. Yes, <laughs> And he was true. there. I was like, hey, good to meet you. And, you know, Jace shook his hand or whatever and grabbed my stuff yeah, and I, left. And then he was like, that was so normal. And I said, yeah, <laughs> it's it's going to be all right. <laughs> Calm down. So anyways, that happened a long time ago. What about you, Dedeker? But yeah, well, my story, again, fairly early in the polyam journey, probably my first relationship where I was like actually practicing polyamory instead of like an open relationship or or kind of some general non-monogamy where this was back in the day before we had the term like kitchen table or parallel where before people were thinking about styles necessarily. And so the relationship I was in was in kind of a weird, like it started out as parallel and was kind of in a not very ethical or very effective way. And there's a lot of kind of brokering and like trying to keep partners. I think it was mostly like old monogamous programming of if, you know, if you're dating two people, Oh God, you can't let them be in the same room together or whatever. But despite all my partner's efforts on that, still ended up meeting my metamorph for the first time at a work event that we were both working. We were both oh. hired for this gig. Oh, right. Okay. And, Are you and, doing like a and, video and, game event? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was the it was like the pre-E3 event that we were both working. Nice. And the weird thing was like f- literally five minutes before I was walking into the orientation, I got a text from my partner 
where he was like, uh, so, so <laughs> I think, you know, like it turns out like she's going to be here too. No, no, no. Okay. Bye. Basically. And I mean, so I like, always wonder, I was like, did he actually know? And he just didn't know how to have that conversation until the oh, last probably. possible minute. 100%. Or did he find out? I don't know. <laughs> oh, but... yeah. oh, I remember this story. I remember yeah. what you're talking about. Did it end up being chill or did you two talk or? Uh, it was. I know you didn't, two didn't end like, up being have a chill. Hugely amazing relationship. No, we really didn't. I, yeah. I don't think that was necessarily her fault, but I don't want to go into that. But ultimately, chill. I guess like it was definitely weird because it's like literally. I think for both of us, five minutes beforehand you're was like, told. Oh, oh by okay. the way, you're gonna meet this person. Yeah, that is kind of. Yeah. And so didn't talk at the beginning of the event. Things were like a little bit weird and awkward. I was so glad that it seems like both she and I had other people at this orientation that we knew. Mm-hmm. You know, so we had other mm-hmm. people to kind of anchor towards. And then I think we talked for like five minutes at the very end and said hi. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Which is not how I would do it now. I think now it would just be like, I don't know, we'd probably try to prevent that situation from happening. But that was my experience. Mm-hmm. The point of the whole story was it was awkward. It was unplanned, but always a possibility, even if you're practicing parallel polyamory or even don't ask, don't tell forms of non-monogamy, always a possibility because it's not entirely within your control. Other forms of space-time, we might be talking about cohabitation situations. Of course, that's going to be much further down the spectrum of being much more entangled or entwined if you're living together with a metamor or sometimes even living in the same neighborhood as a metamor. That means you're going to be crossing paths quite a bit. Other situations include things like needing to coordinate with a metamor about taking care of a partner in some way, whether it could be coordinating care after a medical procedure, or it could be planning for a surprise or things like that. We're also looking at situations of maybe you're going on a joint vacation or some kind of joint travel with a partner or a road trip, things like that. People do that all the time. What what other space-time situations? I mean, one that comes up is, you know, if you're moving, and it's like, oh, well, yes. I've got two partners. I'd like both of them to come help me move. Is this their first time meeting too? Is that going to be weird? How do I manage it? You know, those sorts of questions. Yeah. Really any time where, you know, you're going to have multiple partners or you're going to have your metamors at the same activity or the same thing, right? And there's Maybe a you're ton of different a baby. ways this could look. Oh, yeah. And maybe you're birthing a baby, in but the room. I don't know. Well, maybe. Okay. I'm just thinking about there's, there's such a... Emily, there's such a wide spectrum of possible options for well, how our yeah. chosen families might look. And maybe I'm not yes. co-parenting with all my partners, but maybe I want them there for support. Sure. Yeah, I, I. this is one that maybe will happen to you at some point. But I remember I was with my friend and a fan of the podcast. We were at the freaking Hollywood Bowl seeing a show and a fan of the podcast spotted me and ran like across the state, not really across the stadium, but across like the hall or whatever, like that we were in and was like, oh my gosh, are you Emily from the multi-emory podcast? And so I feel like even in gigantic situations of, you know, thousands of people together, you still can get caught up in those moments. Like even Mm -hmm. seeing like a friend that, you know, randomly on the streets of New York City or something, you know, it happens. So I think that it, it, it just shows that you really can't like totally have contingencies for absolutely everything, absolutely every scenario. Yeah, that's true. So with all these situations, what is it that makes them anxiety producing? And it's that it's 
something new, right? It's this new interaction and there's a lot of worries that go along with that. So just to kind of clarify with those situations we talked about, if you and your partners and metamors and everyone are all, you know, living together day in, day out, like birth and babies together and stuff like that, like Dedeker was talking about, that we're not really talking about that situation here because, you know, you're constantly in contact and there's other things to think about and negotiate. This is more for those situations where this is not just a normal part, or maybe this is the first time you're having this type of interaction. That's just, just to give a little perspective of, you know, where this is kind of more, if this is new or if this is a little bit uncomfortable, some things you might be worried about. One example is just, worrying, will my metamors, or rather, will my partners get along with each other? You know, will they get along with their metamors? You know, I really want them to get along. I want them to like each other so that we can all hang out together more often. There can often be a lot of kind of, what's the word, like emotional pressure that you put on yourself to have all your metamors get along and be able to do more stuff together. Sometimes there's that feeling of, if I'm doing polyamory right, it means we should be doing stuff all together as a group. Which, just for those of you who couldn't tell from my tone of voice, like that's not true. That's not the only right way to do polyamory. There's lots of different ways. I know we kind of made that assumption early on when Dedeker and I were both dating the same people. And mm -hmm. so the four of us always hung out together. That included the two of you. But yes, yeah. but that... I, uh, the other person in that scenario, the fourth person, I think eventually felt like that wasn't something that he wanted to be a part of and, and it caused a huge amount of tension. And so, yeah, that, that automatic assumption, I think our, our show is all about that. Just no assumptions ever. You've got to communicate. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. You have to communicate about everything, even that, because there are assumptions there that, oh, well, we're all dating or, you know, most mm -hmm. of us are dating. And so we might as well just all be together. And that's not necessarily what is going to, you know, people are going to want to do. Yeah. Another example that one of our patrons gave is that juggling needs of different people might be very different from each other or might be like uncomfortably similar to each other. You know, so some examples of that could be maybe someone who needs a lot of, you know, help from their partner in social contexts, maybe for, you know, anxiety or just sort of fear or awkwardness or something like that. Maybe another person, you know, another partner feels really uncomfortable seeing any public displays of affection with other people or even doing it themselves or another one who needs to have that public display of affection and so that they feel seen and like they're part of a relationship with you. Those could have some conflict with each other. Maybe someone who doesn't feel keen to be restricted in any way on their behavior and another one doesn't like to see displays of affection, right? There's all sorts of different potentially competing, potentially uh, cooperative needs that might be going on. And then to add to that, that there might be some high stakes to these. Maybe one relationship is new and just getting more serious. Maybe one is a somewhat newly opened relationship, maybe within the last year or two, that these can result in all these needs and desires being heightened, right? That, that everything's just turned up to 11. Yeah. And then something that somebody else in the patient group pointed out that there can also be a situation where 
if you're navigating having like a long distance partner who's in town and they're at the same event as maybe another partner of yours who's kind of more proximal, that can make things feel a little bit different and produce some more anxiety because it's like, oh, well, like normally I would kind of hang out with both of these partners equally, but now my long distance partner is in town. And so I feel the need that I need to monopolize all my affection and attention and time with them while they're here. But my partner who I don't act this way around in public is, you know, like there can just be a lot of different competing needs essentially that, that, that can cause some stress. Mm-hmm. Definitely. This next one I think happens when you get in a situation like a wedding, for instance, where a bunch of different people come together that are parts of like different social circles that you're in. So different microcultures potentially clashing with one another. You may have like a different type of rapport with one partner than you have with another that, you know, these partners may feel alienated because you have an inside joke with one and then y'all are laughing about that, like the two of you used to do about this freaking video game, like really early on in our relationship. We're never, we're never gonna live down the fact no, that Jason no. and I had like one conversation about Dwarf you Fortress. You did not have one. Are you kidding me? It was you one talked long about it a lot. One. No, Dwarf Fortress came up a lot, but it definitely did. It's fine, but it's but that was very much like a thing that was for the two of you, but it still came up when we all like hung out together, for instance. Also things like relationship history or comfort or intimacy might be very different between two different partners. And another thing is that there may be a different level of outness and that can cause a lot of complications. For instance, if one partner can't be out, if, you know, they're 100% closeted, for a variety of reasons, and then a different partner is super out, that's really challenging as well. And if you go to a work event or, you know, a family event with multiple partners, and maybe the relationship isn't really open knowledge, people don't know about it necessarily, even though you're there with multiple people, and what do you introduce? One is your friend and one is your partner. Like, these are really complicated situations to be getting into. Yeah, I've actually run into this, not necessarily in my personal life, but heard a lot from our patron group and a lot from clients that I've worked with of being in kind of the unique scenario of we can hang out together publicly, but it's still public and we're not necessarily out. And so while I can hang out with both my partners, I can only really publicly be affectionate or open about my relationship with one of them, which causes all kinds of different levels of stress and anxiety for pretty much everyone involved in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say another dynamic to add to this in terms of those microcultures is perhaps with one partner, you have some kind of a dom sub relationship that sort of permeates all of your interactions. And now you're at a social event with them and your other partner that you don't do that with, or maybe have opposite roles with the other partner or something like that. That could be a confusing dynamic to, to navigate of like, well, do I need to stop this behavior while we're all together? Is like, you know, it's having to navigate that with more people is, is important, but can also be stressful. Mm -hmm. Another thing to think about that can cause stress is just past baggage. So it's unfortunate, but sometimes the thing of having multiple partners in the same place can bring back memories of having divorced parents as a kid. Oh, and I I mean, I have not, of course, I've not done any empirical research on this, but when I ask clients, like clients who are really struggling with anxiety, like the chances that you came from a 
family, like uh, from divorced parents is really high Hmm. that this will trigger that same feeling of, Oh my God, I need to keep both of these disparate relationships happy in some way. And I'm the middle link and it all lands on me. Right. Yeah. That, that, that baggage might cause you to take on more of that labor or even assume these two people are not going to get along and I'm going to have to be brokering this relationship even if that's not actually true, you might kind of go to that place if you grew up with divorced parents and you had you had to do that. Could also be baggage just from another polyamorous relationship. Maybe you did have two partners who hated each other and made your life miserable because of that, and you had to do a lot of triangulation between those. Or maybe you had a relationship with a really bad metamor, and so now you want to be sure that your partners don't have that with each other or something, right? That it could even be more immediate baggage of just, I expect this is going to be bad. And so I'm scared. And then the last one, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, is that just leftover monogamy ideas, that idea of any situation where like an ex meets your current partner is always going to go bad for you, right? Oh my goodness. I, yeah, I had a former boss (laughs) in a dance company that I was in where she was in the middle of like, she she had just broken up with a long-term partner, but they were still a little bit connected. Like they were sharing custody of a cat or something Mm, and still spending quite a bit of time together. I don't know if they were still sleeping together or not. I forget that part, but yeah, she just started dating somebody new and she told us this long and sordid tale of (laughs) how she was like out at a cafe with her new date person. And then her ex walked by randomly and saw her in the cafe and like came into the cafe and she like had, she like tried to like suddenly move to another chair and pretend that she didn't know the guy that she was at the cafe with. And like, and then like also to the guy was trying to pretend she didn't know who that the ex was. She didn't know who this guy, like, like this whole ultimately kind of ironically comedic tale of just how she had to pretend to both of these people that she didn't actually know them because God forbid that they would be in the same space together. And at that time I was very much, I was starting to hit my polyamorous stride and was just like, could not eye roll harder. (laughs) It's really unfortunate for a variety of reasons. Wow. Yeah. But that's a situation. Like think about how many times that's presented to us in the media mm-hmm. often for a comedic effect of, and usually it's, yeah, I don't know, the guy who's just like accidentally invited too many people to the same party or, or whatever like that. I think that we get presented with that situation quite a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then another reason why there can just be anxiety is like if you already have social anxiety or if you have some kind of generalized anxiety or if you have some form of neurodivergence that makes it difficult for you to read social cues or to socially engage in a way that's considered quote unquote normal, this can be even more stressful. You also may worry about other people's perceptions of your relationship with multiple people, especially if you are in something like a work setting or you know, a family setting and you're telling grandma for the first time, like, Hey, these are my two partners, you know, that may come with a lot of anxiety because they may not understand. And there's, you know, still so much stigma attached to anything other, any non-monogamous relationship or any other type of alternative, you know, lifestyle or relationship. So that's understandable that it would produce a lot of anxiety. I've speaking of the perceptions thing, I've felt some anxiety around like if I'm, if I'm at an event with my metamor and we have a shared partner there and if my partner is going to like be affectionate or kind with my metamor, I felt this weird pressure of like, 
I feel like everyone's gonna be looking at me of like, oh my god, is she okay with this? Like, yeah, oh, what or, does she feel oh, about is her she partner? The, like, like number two or something? Yeah, or kissing. Yeah. And so I felt this pressure of like. I need to look super cheery the entire time mm. I'm at the event. <laughs> I can't have any kind of resting face. I have to look like super, super cheery. So no one thinks that I'm just like the sad sap being jerked around here. Like I still have kind of that yeah. weird internalized pressure. I've definitely, definitely experienced that of like, yeah, you got to maintain appearances if you're in a crowd of mixed people who don't get it or might be suspicious of it or something. Yeah. I found that even even not being in the space, same space time exactly, but like Dedeker is going to go off to have a video call with a different partner while I'm there and like my mom's around and needing to like be so chill and cool in how I, you know, present that face mm -hmm. to my mom so that she's not like, oh, is this weird for you? Is this whatever? And, you know, so it's, yeah, there's that. And then to take it to like master level. This is this is what I do. Is this it, is like master level. level anxiety? Yes. Oh. <laughs> master level worrying, uh, I'll call it that, is worrying about other people being worried about what other people think. Whoa, so like you take on, it another on. level please, deeper, please. right? <laughs> yes, break that down a little slowly. bit. Yeah. <laughs> so then it's not worrying just about me worrying about what other people might think about my relationship, but not, I'm also worrying about what my partners might be thinking about what other people might be thinking about them because of something that I did or didn't do. Oh, so yeah. you can really, this, this you can really, like you. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, this sounds very Jace Lindgren. <laughs> so you can really take it pretty far if you, if you put your mind to it, you know, if you really dedicate yourself. Wow. Um, you can really go places with this one. I would say, I would say, I, I like you putting it that way. I do think you might be a master level worrier. I hope that doesn't come across as a criticism. I mean, I think it is, but it a is fair a little. One. So, <laughs> I mean, wow. I, I was trained by the best. I think my mom is also mm, a master level worrier. And okay. so I think that I just, you know, it's the family business. Right. <laughs> It's been a long apprenticeship up to this like, point. Yeah, growing up as a you know water bender, it's like, well, yeah, you you want to develop that skill and you master <laughs> it because you're, you're a worry bender. Uh, I'm like, wait, you guys haven't seen Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We all we know all about worry bending in this yeah. house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well. Okay, we're gonna take a break. When we come back from the break, we're gonna be talking about common pitfalls, so common mistakes that people make heading into this situation, as well as some advice, wonderful advice from our community for how to navigate this with some grace. But first, you're going to hear about some of the sponsors that help us to keep this show going. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Now we're going to talk about some of those pitfalls, some common mistakes we've 
probably made all of these at some point, uh, and so have our listeners. And just to start it off, is kind of the general catch-all of just the weirdness that worry or anxiety can cause. Mostly just not being able to be relaxed mm. or to be yourself, where it's it's you know you're focused so much on being cool and chill that you're anything but cool and chill, right? <laughs> Yes. I've definitely yeah. fallen victim to this many, many times. For sure. So that can manifest in a number of different ways. One of them can be wanting to control or mediate or micromanage the experience in some way, you know, either really getting all up in your partner's business or really trying to make sure that they get along or really trying to just be super, super granular. And, and sometimes that can look like trying to control the way your partners interact, or it could also be trying to control and trying to really desperately keep them apart, right? Because the idea of them hanging out with each other or hanging out in the same room with you can be so anxiety producing that you're just like, no, I just, I can't, I need to keep it hermetically sealed. Or, or I've also seen this manifest as the, anytime I have any kind of affection with one partner, I have to go immediately find the other partner to do the same, to try to keep things equal. Mm -hmm. That's, that's one that I've, I've done a lot. Yeah. And it's a bad or lot. it can go the opposite way of trying to control and micromanage and you can completely absolve yourself of any responsibility or labor or just completely check out. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is one I've seen a lot also of just kind of like, I, I can't even think about how that's going to go. So just y'all figure it out. Y'all like, I have no responsibility here. I don't need to facilitate anything. It's, it's all on you and I don't need to take care of you. I don't need to pay attention. Like, I'm just like, whatever, I'm just going to go pay attention to this corner of the garden party <laughs> and y'all are on your own. It's really beautiful or, over here. <laughs> right. Or it's like, I'm just going to come here and to avoid the awkwardness with my existing partners, I'm just going to go here and try to hit on new people. Oh yes. And I've seen, people <laughs> you know, that I've seen that move before too. Yeah. 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 Yes. Or the big pitfall, and we'll be talking about this a lot more when we start getting into takeaways and advice, but probably the biggest pitfall is just not talking about this or even thinking about expectations ahead of time. And there can be a couple of reasons for this. Often, I think this is due to just not having a social script for this situation. So, you know, it's like we have a social script for a dinner party or for a birthday party or or I'm going to a work party or things like that. And we don't get this handed down social script for, oh my gosh, two of my partners are going to the same event together where I'm going to be or something like that. And so sometimes we're just like, uh, okay, I guess we'll just see what happens. <laughs> you know, like I'll just show up, I'll put my body in space in this space time and see what happens. <laughs> or sometimes people feel, I think just a sense of awkwardness or fear about having the conversation at all for all the various reasons we talked above. Like there can be just like so much anxiety around it. Like I don't even know how to talk to you about expectations. I don't know what to do. Maybe for the hinge partner, you feel like you need to be the one who leads the charge and makes all the decisions about how it's going to go. And you just don't even know how it's going to go. So you avoid the conversation. Like there's a lot of reasons why people avoid talking about this or thinking about this. Another thing that hopefully this episode will help with a little bit is I think some of that fear can come from, well, I'm, I'm worried about this, but that must just, that must just be a, a, my problem that I should just deal with or, or, you know, or maybe that's not a valid fear to have. So I shouldn't be thinking about this. Hopefully this episode and hearing about this will let you know, no, these are common worries and, and probably good things to be thinking about. Ideally not in a, 
you know, worry and anxiety focused way, but in more of a productive, hey, let's talk about this, which again, we'll get into in a moment. So another pitfall is relying too much on alcohol or other substances to chill you out. This is just kind of basic. If you're going to anywhere where paying attention to social dynamics and being aware of your behavior is important. So going to a play party or an orgy or a dating event or a mixer or basically almost anything (laughs) is sometimes to self-medicate that fear and anxiety will drink too much or will take drugs or something like that. And those are pretty much never a good way to handle those situations. So that, that applies here too. And then another pitfall, which may seem to go against the whole point of worrying about this and planning about this ahead of time is that sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking our only options are 100% success, like 100% My partners all totally get along. They become best friends tonight at this event, right? Or just that they get along 100% and they they love each other so much and they're so happy hanging out together. Or no one has any weird feelings or no one needs any reassurance from me. Like it's just all smooth sailing the whole time. Right. And then if that's, if your thinking is that's the only measure of success is that, then if anything doesn't go according to that, then it's, it's a total failure. Right. It's, it's swinging to those extremes and expecting it to look a particular way going in. I think in early relationships, especially it maybe you are meeting, you know, an established partner for the first time or your your new partner is meeting an established partner for the first time. Sometimes there can be a tendency to really get caught up in NRE and then you potentially become a little bit unaware of your other partner's feelings or needs. That does happen regardless of the setting that you're in. It may just happen in general. But also in these bigger social settings, you may be tending more to one person simply because NRE and excitement is getting caught up. And that may mean that your existing partner doesn't have as much attention perhaps as they want or need in that moment. And also, you can focus so much on keeping everyone else happy that you neglect what you need. And that's important, too, in this whole situation. I mean, ideally, you're getting together and having a social situation to have fun and to enjoy yourself. So maybe you get together at a work function to network, but, you know, you also want to be able to show off your partners and enjoy yourself, things like that. I mean, in those scenarios, in any scenario that you're in, take care of yourself. That's super important because I think that we neglect, especially when anxiety is high, we tend to neglect our own needs in those moments. I often just neglect having any fun. That's kind of my favorite. Oh, I see. Is, you know, I just, just (laughs) neglect having fun and instead put all my energy into worrying and making sure my partners are doing okay. Yeah. I'm often just like making it worse in the process. Now, to be fair, have not had this experience in a few years now, so maybe I'm great at it now. Maybe I just needed <laughs> yeah, a nice little break just to reset. Osmosis, so. like being better at it. There you go. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, we'll see. So something that a patron of ours brought up is that you may be in a social situation where multiple partners are talking at once, but perhaps one is a bit more gregarious than the others. They are kind of, you know, talking more, being the center of attention, and you get caught up in a conversation with them and neglect the partners that are less talkative a bit. And maybe that less talkative person eventually stops participating in the conversation at all. 
that's something to be aware of in another like challenging moment potentially to happen in situations like this. That's also a good thing just for knowing about your partners, because I think that social anxiety can produce those effects on people as well, where they can suddenly get much more talkative, yeah. talkativeness, or they can get way less. Any, yeah, any like dead air, any dead time yes. in there. Exactly. Yeah. And Jace touched on this before, but a patron of ours called this performative equity, but that idea that, yeah, okay, I, I talked to one partner, so I got to run over and talk to another partner and kind of make everyone see how equal it is between all of my partners, especially if you are, you know, non-hierarchical, I think so often we're fed this thing of like, oh, okay, well, you're with two people, but who are you really with? Like, who's the number one kind of thing? And so we want to be able to show and perform that that's not the case, that things are really equal between, you know, these two partners or or multiple partners. And that can get pretty challenging to deal with over and over again, or just to kind of like uphold that when you're in a social setting. So... Yeah. And I think it, it just being both the person doing that and the partner receiving that as it were, like you, you see through it right away. It's mm. just this like, Oh, they kissed that person then ran over to kiss me or did the opposite. <laughs> it's just like, it's just a little awkward. It's just kind of weird. And so I think there's good intentions behind it, right. Of wanting to be sure, like be aware that I'm not just neglecting one partner for the other, but at the same time it can get yeah, it's kind weird. of false, potentially, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, and that's where the performative equity part comes in. So it's it's a little trickier than that. Okay, we've talked about the worries that people have. We've talked about some common mistakes. Now, the moment you've all been waiting for, which is, what do we do about it? What, what do we do that's good? So we're going to go into some advice. And this comes from the conversations that Dedeker has had with a lot of our patrons, as well as our own experiences and our own conversations with different people about this. And some of these will vary depending on the situation, right? Planning for a birthday party is going to be very different than a play party or a work party or something like that. So with that in mind, number one is to talk about some of these concerns and pitfalls that we've mentioned to talk about those ahead of time, right? Is doing that work to talk about that ahead of time with all of the partners who are going to be involved. So this includes things like discussing expectations ahead of time. So say you have a relationship where your partners know you're dating someone else, but they don't know any details about each other, or maybe they know a little bit about each other, but never see each other. And that's kind of how everyone wants it. But we're all going to be at the same event together because it's, you know, something important and I want to be sure everyone's there is to have those conversations of just, Hey, okay. So, you know, what, what do we do in this situation? Or even better is to have these conversations before that event comes up so that then in the event that, okay, sure. You don't want to know about this other person that I'm dating. What happens if we run into them at the grocery store hmm. or, right? Or at the bus stop or whatever it is. If we run into this person, what do we do? Right? How, how do we handle this in a mature way? And sometimes just having that conversation is enough because then they at least know that you thought about it. And then in that situation, if they do end up feeling weird, it's not like, oh, well, you handled that wrong. It's like, okay, yeah, that was weird. But I realized we talked about this. Let's maybe do it different next time right? It kind of gives you a starting place for those conversations. So whether you know the situation is coming up or not, 
that's good, especially especially in those kind of situations where you're very intentionally limiting information and contact between those people because they want it that way, not because you want it that way. I want to clarify that, you know, because they want to be kept separate. And then maybe look at some kind of best case, worst case scenarios about those and talk about, well, what do we do in those situations? What do we do in a situation where the other person's super weird about it? What do we do in a situation where it's totally cool? And just have those conversations so you know some options going in. Another conversation to have beforehand, whether you are intentionally going to event or just preparing for maybe, is talking about public displays of affection, about PDA. And this is something that I think in general is a good conversation to have with partners regardless of whether you're monogamous or polyamorous. It's just, hey, how comfortable are you with that? What are your expectations with it? What are situations where you might not want to do public displays of affection? And this really varies, right? For some people, it's in public, I'd rather not hold hands. And other people, it's like, oh yeah, I love that. But in public, I don't want to you know, kiss in public. Or, you know, I'm totally fine with us kissing in public, but if we're with my parents, that feels weird to me or whatever it is, right? It's a lot of different variations, but just have that conversation. And then thinking about a social event is with multiple partners, then saying, okay, but now in this situation, does that change it? And having yeah. those conversations with multiple partners, you know? It's funny. This is bringing up some memories for me. I think that for most of my life, I've gone into these situations kind of assuming I may have to reassure a partner of like, hey, it's okay to be a little bit affectionate to me. Like, that's okay. Or it's okay for you to be like affectionate to your other partner. Like, I'm okay with that. Like, we can talk mm -hmm. about that. Like, I've often assumed it's kind of going the coaxing direction of like, hey, it's okay. You don't need to be kind of shut down around public displays of affection. But then I was at an event once where I had multiple partners where one of my partners was like super affectionate. Oh, um, yeah. And I, I don't think in a weird way, like it didn't seem like it was coming from a weird, like insecure place or whatever. If anything, I think he maybe just like drank a little too much again. <laughs> the, the perils okay. of alcohol was like, so like right. making me uncomfortable, even if I didn't have other partners there was just like, whoa, buddy, like, geez, <laughs> put, put him away. Right. Just, Hey, yeah. calm down. And I really wish we talked about that ahead of time. Hmm. Yeah. And then, and then another one similar to that is in a verbal way, how do you want to be introduced to people? So this is like, if you're going to that work event or some family wedding or something, have the conversation beforehand. If it's like, look, I don't want to make this wedding about me. I want it to be about whoever's wedding it is. So I'm just going to introduce both of you as friends and like, let's, you know, but let's talk about it beforehand so they don't get shocked at the wedding to get introduced as a friend and suddenly feel hurt. Right. Mm. Or feel like, oh, they introduced me as a friend. Does that mean they're only treating the other partner as a real partner or whatever it is? Having those conversations ahead of time and then, you know, gauging your partner's level of outness too. You know, if, if we are talking to a, stranger, right? we go to a coffee shop and the barista asks us how we know each other or something. What's our answer going to be? Just having those conversations ahead of time can go a long way to avoiding some awkwardness and hurt feelings. Well, my answer is how dare you speak to me? <laughs> well, <laughs> gosh, as a person who works in the service industry, no, I'm, yikes. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I would never say that to a barista and I would never say that to you. And I well, hope no you. one's ever said that to you in your line of no. duty. No, not the, I generally don't ask many questions. You don't ask you're people in, how they know each out. other. 
no, no, beware. <laughs> Although people have offered up that information, like, so wh- who do you think are the couples here? And oh, I'm funny. like, oh, oh okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm like, I don't really care, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. so, so you've done some talking about it and you've done some thinking about it for yourself. Something that I think helps generally with social anxiety, whether that's for yourself or for your partners, is to just have a plan, even if it's a loose plan, and communicate that plan to everyone involved. So that can involve things like, I'm going to be clear about the amount of time this event is expected to last, or the amount of time that I'm hoping that you will stick around during this event, or this is the amount of time that I think this particular interaction might last. And of course, that's going to depend on what the situation is. If it's, oh, I'm inviting everybody to my birthday party, you can be clear about like, yeah, I'm hoping that you stick around at least until, I don't know, the karaoke starts or whatever. And then whatever is fine. Or or being clear about, oh yeah, like my other partner's just going to come pick me up. And so I was hoping that maybe the two of you could just like say hi and introduce each other and then we'll go. It'll be like five minutes. But just giving a clear sense of this is how long I'm expecting this interaction will last because what I found time and time again, reading people's feedback on the topic was no one wants to feel trapped and social anxiety often really amps up that feeling of, Oh my God, I might be trapped in an awkward situation that I can't escape from. And so doing things like being clear about the amount of time. And also you could do things like work out a code word or a microscript for, if you need to express, I need to go step outside or I need to go home or I just need to take a break and talk to some other friends, and then I can engage back in this, you know, that's totally okay. Like give people information and also give people options for being able to escape. Also being clear about who's going to go home with whom, you know, Mm -hmm. if it is your birthday party, it's like, oh, well, I have plans for a sleepover at this person's house. And so that's probably what we're going to do. You know, just be clear about what you're wanting, what you're hoping for, and negotiate that with your partners ahead of time, instead of it just being an on the fly sort of decision. Because sometimes people especially if they're in social anxiety brain, don't have all their faculties necessarily to be able to participate in those kind of negotiations just on the spot. I would add to all of this that sometimes you don't know the answers to all of these questions. Like I don't know how late we're going to want to stay at this event or how late I'm going to want to stay or how late my other partners are going to want to stay. But just what you do know, have a conversation and what you don't know also being clear that you don't know the answer to that can be helpful too. So then kind of people know what what are the things I can know or at least have some kind of expectation about. And then if there is that kind of, I don't know if we're going to stay an hour or if we want to stay there all night, maybe plan some regular check-ins about that of like, hey, you know, each hour, let's like find a way to like duck aside for a moment and say, hey, do we want to stay one more hour or not? You know, kind of chunk it up into little groups like that. And I love this so much Dedeker and I do this when we're going to social events, even if it's just the two of us of like, especially if it's, you know, it's not like, oh, we're having dinner with some friends, but it's like, we're going to someone's party that we got invited to or something. There's that. Okay. Let's come up with some code words, some check-ins. If someone asks us if we want to go, you know, do something or stay longer, or if we're going to stay longer, let's have like a set phrase that we've decided. I'm going to whip that out. And that's the signal to Dedeker, if she's in earshot, I'm stalling for time so we can go have a conversation about <laughs> if we want to stay and do this, you know, or that just buys me some time to then go find her and be like, hey, so this is the question that got asked, right? Just doing something like that so that you don't feel trapped has made a world of difference for me in terms of feeling comfortable going to social events. 
So another thing that you can be doing or thinking about ahead of time is if you have partners or relationships or people in your life who really want or crave one-on-one quality time with you, that may not be all of your relationships or all your partners necessarily. It depends on kind of the level of entwinement or attachment. But make sure that that relationship is getting that separately from just group hangouts or events. I've worked with so many people. I've been in this situation on both sides of this, where if you feel like, oh, I haven't gotten good quality time with my partner in a couple of weeks because of scheduling or whatever. And then the first time I get to hang out with them is at this big group event, this big birthday party. That means I'm going to show up to the event with maybe some different needs and some different longings than maybe I would be otherwise. You know, if it's like, this is the first time I've got to see you in two weeks and you're busy flitting around, not only being the center of attention, but also dealing with multiple partners and stuff like that, that event may land on me a little bit differently than otherwise. So that's not to say that if you just like fill up the quality time meter, then there's going to be no issues whatsoever when you're when you're having multiple partners in the same space time. But it's something to think about for sure and to be real about making sure that you're still nurturing these relationships and especially not relying on group events, group hangouts to necessarily check that box of quality time because that doesn't necessarily do that for a lot of folks. Something that people may want to do, especially if their metamors have never met before, is before throwing them into a huge event type scenario where multiple people are going to be present, you may want to facilitate a one-on-one meeting between the metamors beforehand. Now, some people may really be into this, and some people might like the buffer of having a big party or some you know group setting scenario so that it doesn't make that meeting feel as, I guess, I don't know, like anxiety inducing high, high pressure, or yeah. high pressure. Yeah, exactly. Something along those lines. So you also don't need to necessarily meet face to face, meet one on one. It could just be like in a group thread, like, hey, I wanted to make sure that the two of you at least met in some capacity before we all see each other, you know, in a group setting kind of thing. Yeah, there's a surprising number of people in our patron group who talk about sort of priming the pump, as it were, with sure. their metamorph relationships by just like sharing memes before <laughs> even yeah. meeting in person. Like there's little, yeah, definitely little things that you can do to reduce the pressure of that first time meeting, especially if you're going to be juggling, I think, a lot of different things in your mind. Yeah. You also could bring, you know, mutual friends to offer multiple social options. I know that I keep thinking about the Oscar party that we used to hold JS at our house uh-huh. when we lived together. And, you know, that would be really fun because it would include multiple partners, but then also like mutual friends. We would bring our friend Paul and, you know, <laughs> Paul would always be fun to talk to regardless of, you know, who was hanging out with who at that point. And so and that's kind of like a, another fun buffer potentially to have in situations like this. Yeah, if you're the one hosting the event, you have some more control over that. Definitely. But that's another thing to think about is if I'm going to an event that's part of one partner's social group, but I'm bringing another partner who's not part of that social group, being aware that they're not going to have the same kind of safety net and buffer and level of comfort around Maybe them they as should someone bring, else bring will. a friend. Yeah. Right. If you're able, right? I mean, again, if you're hosting, you have some more options there. That's but true. if you're not, you might be a little limited. But just being aware of that and having those conversations beforehand can be helpful. I kind of learned a fun thing 
on this subject recently where I was talking about going to event and giving all of these caveats about, you know, well, you know, just let me know if you want to leave early. Like we don't have to stay like, you know, I'll I'll probably want to stay later, but if you feel uncomfortable and you want to leave, like that's totally fine. Like these, you know, these are some people who are probably easy to talk to, you know, but I'll check in with you. Maybe we could have a code word. And she was just like, no, I love social situations. I'm good. And I was like, okay, <laughs> awesome. I was You're projecting like, oh, all right. of my stuff onto you, but yeah, you don't have yeah. that. That's so very, having those conversations can help you kind of gauge, you know, what, what concerns are worth having with different people. That's a really good point. Uh, you can check in with each person regularly. If you do have multiple partners in a social setting, it's nice to check in. I think like Jace just pointed out, though, that may be more or less necessary depending on the person. And that's something to perhaps set up beforehand or just, you know, if a partner is like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm having a great time. Like, you may not need to check in with them as frequently. Whereas if somebody else is clearly struggling, then maybe they're the one who needs a little bit more in that moment. Also, you can remind yourself that it's okay to chill. It's okay to take care of yourself too. Like we said before, this is super important because yeah, maybe you want to take a break as well from checking in with everyone and get to go and talk to a fun new person or a best friend that you haven't seen in a while, or, you know, an acquaintance, something along those lines. You don't need to be like running uh, (laughs) back and forth between all of your partners and checking in with them constantly. It's important to also take care of your own needs. Mm -hmm. And then also at the end of all of this, have a debrief, check in with people like, hey, how did that go for you? Were there things that you would like more or less of in the future? What parts of this interaction felt good? Were there any parts that felt bad? You know, let's kind of make a plan for the future and make this whole scenario even better than it was this time around. And I think that what the three of us have learned from experience, especially I think from that experience very early on in the polyamory days of just not making assumptions. So just because one event goes well and someone has a good time, that doesn't mean it's going to go exactly like that every single time. Or that doesn't mean now you can expect your partners to just be 100% perfect and not have any issues or any weird emotions come up and stuff like that. Still do those check-ins, still do those debriefs, even if you have a couple of these interactions under your belt and you're feeling pretty good. Just, it doesn't hurt to check in and just see how folks are doing. Because sometimes if you just make assumptions, that's when, and especially if someone starts to feel this pressure of, you know, the group dynamic is at play and, oh, I can't say anything. I can't rock the boat. I can't ruffle any feathers. Like that can really set you up for some sad bad, mad times later on down the road. Sad, bad, mad. Mm-hmm. All the things. So I do want to share, we haven't talked a lot in this episode about cohabitation because I suppose we are kind of assuming if you're cohabiting, you've probably dealt with this already or have dealt with the meetups and, and introductions and stuff like that. But I really like this piece of advice that a patron shared. And this patron does live, it sounds like with multiple partners, maybe with a metamor as well. But they talked about, so they agreed that unless they if explicitly agreed to some triad time in the household, that people are free to move about the house, to be in their own rooms without needing to be super social if they don't want to. There's a caveat here of like, if you cross someone in the hallway, it's not nice to just like ignore them or stonewall them. But if you're on the common area, there's not an obligation to have to engage. And, and they really encouraged more, essentially more of an opt-in model 
to social engagement. So like, oh, if there's going to be kind of an organic hang, we kind of text people or let people know like, oh, hey, is it actually cool to hang out instead of just assuming? And I think that just goes back to what we were iterating earlier of like, no one wants to feel trapped, you know? Mm, And so if you can create a situation where people feel like they are free to opt into social engagement instead of it being the default that they have to opt out from or extract themselves from, you're probably going to set yourself up for more success. And ultimately, the note that I want to end this on is that a neutral experience is still a win. It doesn't have to be a perfect experience. It doesn't have to end with both of your partners absolutely loving each other, becoming best friends, or having just a wonderful, fantastic time at your birthday party. Even if it's neutral, even if there's some hiccups, like that can still be a win. You know, you're still doing something that a lot of folks in kind of traditional monogamous culture would be like way too terrified to even think about doing or could never even fathom doing. It's like, this is still a big thing. And everyone's really courageous for still stepping into a situation where there's no social cues already built in. And so it's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I want to reiterate something on that note that I mentioned earlier, which is just that doing a ton of social events with multiple partners is not a requirement. It's not a great, like, it's not the good way to do polyamory and keeping things more separate is the bad way. None of that's true. I've found that what's actually true is if you have partners who get along really well with each other, or, you know, you enjoy coordinating with a metamor for your shared partner's birthday each year or for certain events, and that's fun, great, do it. And if it's not as much, then don't do it, right? And that that either one is good as long as you're not trying to force it into something that it's not as comfortable being. And that might evolve and change over time, but that's that's the big thing. It's just that none of these are better than the other. They're all just different ways of doing it. And anywhere in between there, any subtle variation on that might be the one that works out best for you and various partners. Okay, folks, so we have a question for you on our Instagram stories this week. What advice would you give for inviting multiple partners to the same event? We definitely love to hear from personal experience as well. So you can share those with us on our Instagram stories. But also the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can also post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.